Hui Maoliola proudly presents Leo Kupa, E Ho'olono Mai, the thought-provoking podcast on perpetuating Hawaiian healing and wellness. Episode 12 of Leo Kupa is brought to you by Papa Olo Lokahi. Envisioning a thriving native Hawaiian community composed of healthy individuals and families informed about their rich heritage and culture, living in a state of Lokahi and making informed choices and responsible decisions in a safe island society that is Pono. With a mission to improve the health status and well-being of native Hawaiians and others by advocating for, initiating, and maintaining culturally appropriate strategic actions aimed at improving the physical, mental, and spiritual health of native Hawaiians in their ohana and empowering them to determine their own destinies. Leo Kupa is hosted by Kamakanui Ahailono Jingao. Welcome to Leo Kupa from us at Hui Mauli Ola. The mission of Hui Mauli Ola is to perpetuate Hawaiian healing and wellness and empowering our people through healing. This Leo Kupa podcast is a way of capturing the stories of empowerment from our kupuna and practitioners in our community. Today we have a special friend and guest on Leo Kupa. He was a past presenter at Mauli Ola Wednesdays, the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Naea Chan. Aloha. Anoai me ke aloha, veloana ke aloha, mai kumukahi ahiki lehua. Aloha no. Aloha, aloha. So the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Naea Chan um, received his formal education at Iolani School and the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Um, he, he attended St. John's College in Aotearoa as a Rotary Fellowship. And he's got a great story. You know, I know you've written a lot of different books. You've, um, you've worked with, you know, a lot of the different places, Office of Hawaiian Affairs, as a cultural specialist, um, the State Department of Health, the Queen Liliokalani Children's Center. You work with um, Pihana Namamo Native Hawaiian Education Program. I know you've done a lot. Why don't you continue with that short intro and share with us your story, Uncle? Well, my career, now that I'm on Social Security, my career was one that I never planned to be in all those things. It happened because I needed a job or some friends said, try this or do that. But in everything I did, I worked for our people, um, trying to do something good for them from the time of university all the way till uh, just past when I was um, uh, a canon pastor at uh, St. Andrew's Cathedral. But Somehow I got caught into 
an interest in Native Hawaiian um, healing practices and medicine and la'o uh, lapa'au. And that was, you know, just by fluke happenstance because nobody else was doing those things. Um, and I was given the opportunities along the way to do translations of Hawaiian texts, um, manuscripts and published um, texts that no one had translated before. And as the manuscripts accumulated, I began to realize that I was privileged to see before me a pretty good history of the development of La'olapa'au, uh, or uh, more technically, La'au uh, Ha-Ha, uh, and how it developed all the way, well, almost to today in its practice and changes. And so by those translations and publications, able to share with our people and the world that we have had a, a deep history documented, recorded for generations to come about our practices and what we do. And, you know, it gives us a privilege that very few indigenous people have about their own culture, but more specifically about their healing practices. Yes, our healing practices. Was there any, was there any point in your um, getting to be in this practice or wanting to learn more about our Hawaiian healing practices? Was there certain people that kind of stuck out that told you like, hey, you know, like, you should go look at this or any kupuna that you know you spent some time with that was influential in this uh, aspiration of looking more into our Hawaiian healing practices. Well, none of these things, you know, are predetermined, or at least I don't think they are. <clears throat> and they're not coincidences either. They happen because you alert to it, um, you become custom. Um, you have a sense to what's going on. And so, you know, I, I got to say the story begins very early when I was kidnapped by my uh, Hawaiian grandparents as a little toddler and raised by them. And, you know, that, that my grandfather, he spoke Hawaiian and wanted, I'm quite sure, to pass on things. So I was his little shadow. And as I say in one of the books in the intro, he didn't teach me specifically, oh, baby, use this or do this or do that and just say this and, and so forth. But what he did was he opened up the eyes to wanting to learn, to seeing the world in a different way that other people see it. And he, he practiced um, his own form of, of medicine. Um, by that time, you know, La'aukahea uh, was very popular, although it's not uh, an ancient tradition. Uh, and so he instilled in me, at least, an appreciation for plants, for the world around you, how you grow things, uh, how you take care of them and how you look at the world very differently from other people. Um, 
And I think that that was really a great gift, um, one that perhaps with smartphones and technology and these things, we forget the power of observation, the power of listening, um, the power of being able to be still. Um, those things were really skills, and they're skills that through the translations and becoming Mao, you know, accustomed to uh, the jargon, the language, the practice of uh, healing, they're very important skills. Um, and they're things that need to be retaught to our own people. So in, in writing and translating a lot of these um, written articles, I know, um, you know, you um, help with the translation of the Ahahui Laolapa'au of Wailuku. Hmm. Um, yeah. Any, that was a big gift. I mean, that wasn't supposed to be. I'm quite sure, it wasn't supposed to be. It was a gift because I was helping out with the archives. They had their uh, genealogy books, the catalogs of genealogy, but they didn't have a table of contents, nor did they have a catalog. So when I went through with them, you had to go look at everything to find something, and you know, uh, I had. Two good gifts that came from, well, three actually. I found the genealogy of um, um, Pelelia um, Kamokuiki. And I found David Malo's genealogy. And the third thing I found in a genealogy book, you see, these are all ledger books. They're old books. I mean, paper is hard to come. Binded books are hard to come. You don't want to have loose papers. So they look for ledger books because they were pre-bound. Um, kind of like our spiral, the old spiral books. I was going to say kind of like now, but no. Uh, composition books, if people remember those. Uh, and so in it, they would keep important documents and things like that. And one of them had, was a genealogy and was labeled as that. But the genealogy only went for like mm, seven 15 pages at the most. Uh, I kind of forget. But there were more things in the back. I mean, there was a whole section that was blank. And then you came to this other one. And what it was, was what you say, the, these um, things about this association on, on Maui and Wailuku. Uh, and the interviews that they did with the uh, practicing um, healers of their time. I wouldn't say kahuna because they didn't call themselves kahuna, but they were students of kahuna, the, the last of the kahunas. Kua'u, a'u, um, uh, uh, and others, um, particularly from the Maui area because this was done in Maui. Um, and they, they wrote them down. They recorded it, I would think, in verbatim. Uh, as the interview goes, somebody's there with the ape, ink and, and pen and, and writing this all down in the ledger books. Well, when I first saw it, I didn't know what I had. So lucky in those days, I could get a copy made. And they Xerox a copy, 25 cents a page, you know. You've got to be a rich person in those days at 25 cents. Um, and they did it for me. So I took it back. I finished the cataloging of the, of the genealogy books for them. But I started looking at this book and... and, and what they copied, and it, it was amazing because it would say, my name is so-and-so. I was taught by so-and-so. Who was taught by so-and-so? And this is what I learned 
And this is what I practice. I mean, all of this, just giving it all out. No more this huna, no more this uh, secrets, no more, oh, this is only privileged information. This was made so supposedly for public use. And I started to dabble in translating it and working on it. And soon enough, I had enough material that I could put in for a national grant from the humanities. And it's the only one I know of for Hawaiian translation. And lo and behold, there were this fabulous uh, collection of interviews in Olelo, in our language, no English, about these people in the 1860s. This is taking place in the 1860s, but their memory goes back now. How many generations to go back? And one of them was even a woman. And, and that, that was amazing because people used to say, well, those, those kind of kahunas and practi pra practitioners, they, they only men. Um, and then putting all the pieces together, we discovered at Bishop Museum some other interviews that weren't part of this book, and we put it all together, and there we published it, uh, printed it. You know, and, and in the beginning, I said it's a dangerous book. It's a dangerous book because you don't know how people are going to use the material. They freely gave of themselves. And part of it concerned me about being dangerous because they would talk about sorcery, but in a particular way, in a particular manner. They would talk about a practice called kuehokapa, which nobody practices today. And anybody says they do, I don't think they'd know what they do unless they read the book. Um, and that was uh, divination, um, trying to figure out this illness by pulling and tugging on um, the, the edges and, and, and uh, corners of a kappa that a person has been wrapped up in. But they also talked about uh, ho'unauna, um, unuhipili, and these other things that deal with what we know as sorcery. But they called it, they considered it healing. And that was a point I, I talked with the late uh, Kekuni Blazer about, it, because I told him this is dangerous material. And he said, why? I said, I, I don't know what I want to publish it and put it out because I don't know how people are going to use it. Well, fast forward to today, my latest book called Maunu, The Bait, the Bait which is a murder mystery about sorcery. I got all of that stuff in there because what I came to understand after all these years was that they really were talking about healing. They're talking about countering sorcery. How do you stop sorcery and the hurt and the evil? How do you counter it? What what kind of medicines and prayers and things can you use to help someone who has been possessed or who has been poisoned uh, with sorcery? So they considered it to be healing. And I think that, it, that, that manuscript alone is a treasure. In fact, I put it out to, um, to some people that we do some of these um, manuscripts I've translated and published. You know, it's not to crow or, you know, hake or boasts about it uh, but some of them are, are national treasures and this one that you mentioned on the on the uh, Maui society is a national treasure because no one else has done it no one else will do it again um, and yet our own people went out and did the did the interviewing did the recording did all of this not only for us for for history 
but they were trying to prove that the practice of kahuna laulapa of haha was not you know voodoo or made up. They're trying to prove to modern society that this is a bona fide practice, and they were doing that in the 1860s. You know, it's a national treasure, and if we don't treat it like that, it'll be lost again. So from that book, you know, um, these stories, was there anything that stuck out, um, you know, besides the one, the wahine, um, you know, was there anything that kind of stuck out, you know, just off the top of your mind about some of the um, either remedies or some of the um, things they used that was pretty common for, you know, was there a specific la'au that, you know, they talked about that was pretty prevalent in Maui? Well, it, it, it's um, the span where they had some people from the from the Hawaii Island or Big Island, and there were some from Molokai. There was, I think, one from Lanai, and the rest were all from Maui. Um, so it's it's not just uh, specific germane to that. What they did, and, and unfortunately, you know, nobody's interested. Uh, not the scientists, not the doctors, not even our own uh, so-called healers. They're not interested in to, to pursue this, this gift that is given to us. The gift is all these uh, potions and recipes. You know, there's some people who may go out and replicate it. It's really hard to replicate it because they use so many different agreement, uh, ingredients in different quantities. And today, you know, not even people, not even myself can grow that much or want to, you know, give up that much for somebody to make an experiment on you know 40 leaves 40 days a tap root of this and that and that tap root that means you got to pull out the whole hooky the whole plant yeah, you know, that, yeah. that plant is sacrificed now you know it's sort of like when i grew my whole sidewalk strip and it's a long sidewalk strip of peely grass because the bishop museum needed peely grass with the aa with the mole with the roots attached to it they just didn't want the peely grass they needed roots attached so when they did the holly inside the grass wouldn't fall down after the naki'i, the, the rope is tied and in time it will loosen and then all the peely grass falls out. What they thought, found was that if you, if you uh, build the hale with the roots attached to the grass, then it'll stay like that permanently. You know, so th nobody wanted to give them peely grass because they're going to lose all their plants. So I said, no, no, I'll plant it. And, and the kids from Farrington School came up and harvested. But that, that goes back to that kind of thinking. Okay? Now, I think the important part is that talk about scientists, whether they be ethnobotanists, biologists, microbiologists, chemists, uh, whatever. Um, and then you talk about doctors, you know, general practitioners and all the rest. They're all afraid, I think. They're afraid to experiment. One, number one, it's very costly. Number two, they think that all of our medicines are placebos, that they don't have, um, you know, cures to it. They, they, they think only Ava, Noni, and some of these other things. Uh, but they're not willing to put in the money to, to do that. I think some people have tried it, but not, not on a big, I haven't seen papers, enough papers, to see that people are, are taking it seriously. The doctors, on the other hand, they don't want, people like yourself, myself, diagnosing, that gets into their business. Not m just money. They think we're a bunch of quacks, just like they did in the 18, 1860s and 50s. They don't trust. There's no trust as to 
you know, oh, I can actually feel something. You're, you're sick. Like my next door neighbor is um, the former husband is a um, therapist, physical therapist. He diagnosed another neighbor across the street and told him, I think, you be I think you better see a doctor because I think you have cancer. Sure enough, the guy had um, prostate cancer. You know, later in his life, developed it. Um, but he didn't say, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to you know, be your doctor. He said, no, you should see someone about this because I feel it. Now, I'm sure our people did and can do the same thing. And that's a first line of defense for our community. Because a lot of us don't go see doctors, and we don't go to hospitals. We don't go to clinics. That's a problem that Queens finds in trying to branch out in, in uh, you know, the Hawaiian um, clinics in the community. They have a hard time because they're centers, but people don't go to them, or not don't go, but... Um, People who should go, don't go. Mm -hmm. Where, when I was working at the Department of Health, I was trying to push that way, was we should have people going to see them who have the ability, at least at a minimal level, to say, I think something is wrong, and you need to go see a doctor. You need to see a nurse. You need to see someone not like me, but someone you know who, who knows a little bit more. And that blending of the two, I think is empowerment for Hawaiian communities. You know, it gets more people concerned about people's health than just letting them stay home and, and remain the way they are. Now the other part is, and I think this is what you wanted to hear, is that nobody really has looked at the efficacy of, of medicines. And I've been keeping that to myself. I said, you know, how smart are people if they don't figure this out, so why should I tell them? But efficacy, you know, how effective are they? We know noni, ava, has um, chemicals uh, in them, alkaloids in, in noni, that are in a way toxic. We know that, say, uh, retsin from um, the um, uh, castor bean is poisonous, is deadly. And there was a time when one ethnobiologist was accusing one of uh, my friends um, and saying he don't, he's, he's uh, recommending they take poison. He'll kill themselves. Well, when I talked to him, he said, it's only so little bit, and he dilutes it with all kinds of other things, and, and people were taking it right in front of our eyes, and they weren't dropping dead. Um, but there's this distrust, and there's also this sense that we're not looking at these uh, up, up of these recipes that you know, we translated on, and looking at what, what, what do they make sense in? Why? They're not singular like, oh, you better drink this, uh, this jigger of, um, of noni, and that's it. No, Hawaiian medicine was a, was a complex mixture of things, um, mostly that tasted lousy. Um, and the, the complexity of it, you have to ask questions. What is the active ingredient? if there is an active ingredient. Is it, for instance, the bark of the ohia'ai, the mountain apple, which has um, one report that I read and Beatrice Krauss had given it to me, um, the same equivalent of aspirin, of willow root, you know? Uh, so it did have something. Or, you know, um, were they buffers? Because buffers help to uh, dilute the 
active ingredient like what I was told with the retsin from the castabine oil, uh, castabine, that it diluted it so that it wasn't poisonous, but it was, it was like, um, I guess the c closest we could get an imagery is like chemotherapy. Because chemo, they, they're putting you with a lot of poisons, different kind of poisons so that they can poison the cancer. They're, they're trying to aim at that. Did our Hawaiians think like that? Were they trying to poison something? Because they saw this active ingredient, they knew that it could do something, you know? Stimulate the blood or circulation or, or something, I don't know. Um, but it, what is active, therefore what are active ingredients and what are buffers? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and why do you collect so much of one as composed to the other? Uh, those kind of thinking and testing, nobody's doing. This material has been out for, 20, 30 years, I haven't heard anybody, you know, taking it seriously like that. Uh, and I tried to cajole, you know, friends and colleagues in the medical profession, in the scientific pr profession, and among the healers to look at things like that. Uh, I mean, one of the guys that I use, he was uh, using lawai juice, and um, he was even using the, the natto plum the fruit, you know, because he was trying to find something that's available now in quantities that can be used and gathered. He was, uh, his father had, uh, an aunt had told them to use, uh, what's a holani, the eucalyptus, you know, and, and we know that eucalyptus in, in Vicks rub and so forth, it has a, has a healing uh, purpose. So he was looking at that. That's all modern stuff. That's not the ancient stuff. You know, do we throw the ancient stuff away because we don't understand it? Or are we not thinking like the ancients? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we want everything from Long's Drug Store. Uh, go down and, you know, go, go buy Coracetin. Or go down and, and go buy uh, uh, Nesoprian. Uh, or go buy, uh, you know, this ointment, Bacitracin, uh, um, that kind of, get the tube and then go home. Rather than think about how can I make something, how can I utilize something, um, that, that would help me and help other people. And then the other thing, as I brought up, who's, who, where do you get all this stuff? You know, in the book that I had on my doctor thesis on Kahuna Laulapa'au, you had somebody um, who had a practice down at Kapulu, and, and the pictures from the um, advertiser of that time of his brothers going out to pick, to gather these uh, plant materials. They had huge gunny sacks of this stuff coming back from the forest. You know, today you go to Bishop Museum, you see one plant. You know, what does that mean, Bi ethnobotanical garden? My eye, that's a museum. That's a museum garden because you cannot touch the plant, you cannot use the plant, you only can look at the plant. You know, you gotta grow this stuff. And, and people aren't doing that. Oh, they're growing taro, they're doing the ulu and all this, but. You know, who, who's doing all this stuff? And it's not just for Lao Lapao. For instance, you've got people interested in making wauke, uh, tapa. Who's growing all the tapa? they got to grow the tapa. they got to go all the dyes and all this stuff. Nobody's supplying them, you know? If you want these things to in culture to regenerate, you need to have supplies. You need to be able so that they can... They can do their magic in the skills that they have, but not taking all the time to go out and grow the thing, weed it, plant it, and harvest it, and process it, you know? 
These these guys uh, up on a, the Loea is is on a different level. So, with this planting and getting these resources, you think it's more um, we gotta do it more on a grassroots backyard style? Because I know, like you said, you know it's very important who we getting our medicine from or who's growing this laau. You know, um, you know for for some people they don't know too much aina, but maybe they're passionate about laau. Um, or do we need to start getting more farms going with, with more la'au? Well, I think all of the above. I mean, a, any involvement is good. Anybody who can grow a patch. I used to have, uh, before the pili grass on the sidewalk strip, I used to have um, ma'o, cotton. Because Waimanalo, I remember as a small kid, Waimanalo on both sides of the roads going towards uh, from the Sea Life Park was all ma'o. All of it. No, there's not even one plant. All gone. You know, um, just somebody doing that because then I had friends come for um, Lay Day and they come, they, they raid my yard because they want all the you know flowers and the plants so they can uh, haku in, into their lays. Um, but that's only one person in one little block. You know, where, where is everybody else? Uh, that's how you get a movement. And we don't get into a movement. We get into personalities. We get into projects. We get into little groups. And, and nobody, you know, comes out to the point where they're sharing or they're, you know, helping. Like people come up here or they want to come up to, to, to this house. They want to see everything that I have. And I, I, I kind of get mean because they only want to take. They don't want to give. They don't want to help. It's, it's not, I don't say it's not fun. But there's a lot of work. Right now, I'm trimming my ulu trees. They're over 30 feet tall. That's only me. I'm lucky that the Home Depot has um, a lithium battery, I'm going to make an ad, lithium battery-operated uh, tools, uh, chainsaw, uh, uh, post saw, because that's like having 10 other people with you. Oh, it makes it so not easy, but the work is, is um, less burdensome. You know, uh, Nobody comes up to tell me, oh, I'll help you cut the, you know, I'll have time and this and this. No, i got to go up on the ladder and do all of that stuff. Um, oh, I want to see your tarot and da 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 Hey, come and help me huli, hooky the tarot, huli it, cut it up, you know, dress up the the huli so that, you know, we can replant it or give it away. That's time-consuming because you got to uckle the leaves, you got to trim the bottoms um, and all of this, and you got to make it ready for, for planting. That takes time. When you get like, uh, you know, 100 plants, that's a whole day already. Yeah. Um, so by, I'm not pleading, you know, the cause for cocoa, but if people are going to do this, they, they need to have not just the land, they need to have the idea and the will, the courage to continue this forever. Once you get into it, it's forever. You know, it's not, oh, we're going to feel good because now we're going to be Hawaiians, you know, for the weekend, weekend warriors. And then we're out in the field. I mean, we had healers complaining that, oh, this plant came from the sidewalk or this and that. Oh, I got all the fumes and, you know, oil and all that. Hey, excuse me, this island like 40 miles wide. <laughs> you get sea spray, you get all the, you know, thing. I'm sorry, we just got to work with what we have. You know, you kind of look for the pristine times that, that people had before. So if we go back to, okay, some people are going to grow only uhaloa, 
You One know, field. Nice little bush right outside. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Actually, the neighbors way up, they, they feed it to the bunny rabbits, the oh, lapaki. Yeah? yeah, they say the bunny rabbits love. It. I said they're healthy bunny rabbits. Um, but if you had one whole field of uhaloa, okay, now you can go start looking at some of these remedies and do. You can get 40 leaves. You can get the bark. You can get, get the the, roots. Mo- the root, the tap roots. You can get the juice. You know that kind of thing. Same thing with popolo. Oh my, who's got you know even three plants of popolo growing in a yard? I don't know. Um, that that's that becomes problematic. Yeah. So. If we're talking about La'au and, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people on here who's um, always interested, you know, I think there's a big resurgence of people connecting to Aina, you know, planting stuff. If, you know, if you could just name like five La'au that we could possibly um, be having in our garden or planting um, just some La'au that would be helpful. You got any uh, recommendations of any La'au that we could just kind of have around? Well, the simple stuff, um, you know, uhalo is one, kalo is another, kalo is big, uala is big, um, olena, uh, that, that's important too. I mean, in my murder mysteries, olena becomes really quite a serious thing that is brought up constantly because of the priests, the kahuna need to have the olena there for the juice to purify the water. The pikai or py, the sprinkling of water, you know, like we see today, uh, uh, mimicked around in town for blessings. Yeah, uh, supposedly that water should have that bowl of water should have not just pakai in it, salt, but it should have um, turmeric, uh, olena. olena, squeeze the juice inside. The yellow, the yellow represents pala, means ripe, ready. Um, and it is a purification. It's not just a song. So th- I think that, that, that those things are important. Uwala, it's important because it's not a healing plant. Neither Kalo, the Ipoalono, uh, there are some that uh, Haloa, the, that are used in medicines. Uh, but the medicinal pra- the properties, say the active properties, um, I, I is it kind Don't of like know. Buffers? They they could be. Yeah, I I think they're basically buffers. They're basically the base to the medicine. For in one of the manuscripts, I think it was the one on Maui, you roll a ball of um, uala in your palm, and then you insert your finger, your tiny finger, in to make a hole, and then you put the medicine inside the hole, whether it's liquid or form, because what you've just created is a pill. And a sweet pill. If the medicine is bitter, the sweetness of the uala, or sometimes they use the juice of coal, the sugar cane, um, you know, balances that uh, bitterness. So there you have a pill. So Hawaiians had pills. They invented pills. And we know that this was going on way before, you know, the Western medicine came in with uh, aspirin and, and, uh, you know, those kind of things. So same thing with poi. You, you make a bowl of poi, pound of poi, and you put the liquid inside of it, the medicine in it, and you tell the patient, okay, do you eat this? It not only strengthens you because of the, the poi itself, but you're also taking in the medicines. And, and that's a whole part about, you know, um, one of these m- murder mysteries, um, 
there's a, a true story. A friend of mine, when he was a baby, he contracted uh, air thrush in his mouth and he had skin rash and he turned pink. Um, and they, they thought they were going to lose a baby. Um, so then came a, an auntie from over the mountains and she came because she heard that there was this baby born. Uh, and she asked, well, what was the name of the baby? And they said, oh, it was all English. They said, no, that's wrong. That's not right. This, you folks are the Pele clan. This boy should be named Hiaka. Hiaka Ikapolio Pele. And, you know, that's why this kid is in a rash. So, um, you know, they, they talked about it. The parents talked about it. Family did. And they finally changed the name. And the, the boy, the rash, all disappeared from, from the kid. You know, just turned normal. You know? And his middle name is Hiyaka Kapolio Pele, even though it's a girl's name. You know, um, so it, it's that kind of thinking when we're looking at, at how we heal and what we do, um, what we have. Uh, you got to do your homework. Let me put it this way: you cannot just jump into this thing. The, the people who were trained back then, and, and you can find it in one of the books I have, you know, they went to vigorous training. Uh, I go back to what I said, you know, you have to be able to look, observe, to be quiet, to listen, to then ask questions, to experiment, um, to try. And, and in it, you begin to learn um, these many things and they're not secrets they're just that we're not thinking the way that we should to understand them and how to utilize and that's an ongoing process i think you know it is it is a lifestyle you know if you want to keep these practices well it has to be a way of life uh, you say it's an, not just a lifestyle it you choose to live this way and i think today a lot of times you can be an oddball in it. You can be a, <laughs> the Big Bang Theory of Sheldon Cooper, you know, kind of a weirdo. Um, but it's to take life very differently. To You live, you know, with this table and drinks and plates and knives and forks and ride a car. That's no deniable of it. But it's how we perceive the world around us and particularly the relationships uh, with Keakua, with our ohana, with our neighbors, with uh, the gifts that are given to us by God, that that whole relationship, uh, the word pili, you know, is much more important than aloha, because pili will lead you to aloha, but pili means that you have to be connected, you have to be empathetic, you have to be sympathetic, you have to have compassion. For the things around you, uh, that that's pili, that's what brings us, binds us together, as an ohana, as a community, as a people. Um, that we don't think about because we've been so trained, like monkeys, that we think of ourselves as individuals, and that's not bad. But then, what about your neighbor? What about your friend? What about your ohana? You, you care about them or you only care about yourself? And that's not how we build a nation. Mm -hmm. The nation, the lahui, 
is of a people, okay? not a community, not an ethnic community. It's a people. It is a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of doing things that is different from other people. You know? But unlike these racists today, you know, we, our culture teaches us to be welcoming, to have that pili with a stranger to welcome them into a house. How you would have a story like we were told when we were small kids, uh, if you had two families and one didn't, one didn't welcome strangers, they scared them away. And so when an old lady came to the house, they scared them away. And then all of a sudden, the, the volcano erupts and boom, the lava flows, destroys their house. But the house that was welcoming to the stranger, this was saved. You know, what, why the story? And that's a, I wouldn't say a true story, but that's a well-known story. Why? Because it shows us that we have to be full of care about the people that we come in contact with. And that care means that they could be a god, you know, whether it's Pele, whether it's Jesus Christ or Buddha or whatever. You know, we have to be full of care, to be careful. Not scared, but careful of how we treat other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So building that pilina, having that welcoming, welcoming spirit, you know. Um, how else do you feel we can build that, that pilina or relationship? You got any other um, ways that, you know, we could build that... Um, Pilina or relationship with other people? Well, I, I think for, for Hawaiians in particular, and maybe for other people can figure it out for themselves, but for Hawaiians in particular, you have to, hmm, I hate to use this kind of terminology, decolonize. I mean, this kind of political terminology. I, I'm not too ma'awit and not too comfortable with, but it seems to fit the case. We have to start to, to get away from thinking about just ourselves. Um, we have to look at, you know, the, I wouldn't say the old ways, but knowing that, you know, if somebody is hungry, you feed them. If somebody is homeless, you know, you try to help them find a home or a shelter. If you have extra clothes, you, you give it away. I mean, there are too many Hawaiians that are living on the beach, and that's the way their life is going to be. They expect to live that way. They want to live that way. For many of us, that's not, that's not the way, you know? Um, there are other values to being Hawaiian than just saying, I'm living off the land, and, uh, and I'm only going to take care of my family. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there was a ways of, of welcome and and, and the protocol that was followed with it that brought relationship uh, of blood, of kinship to people. Um, there was a sense that, um, you know, you help the destitute, you help the old people. Um, that's why Kamehameha reinvokes the Mamalahoa about, you know, sleeping on the side roads not to be molested. There's all kinds of things in, in the culture, in the history, that bring us back to being, again, a people. And to learn how to be a people means good citizenship. It's not taking advantage of others for your own benefit. It's building up each other 
so that that equity and sharing is is shared across the board. Win-win. Yeah, everybody wins. Exactly, exactly. That's when you get a people. That's when you get a nation. You don't get it if, if some one group says, well, we're going to do this and we don't want to cooperate. We don't want to be with you. Or uh, They're getting all the money and this and that and that. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And um, one of your other books, Unonomamo, um, that had a lot of different sections in it. What, what was the story behind the creation of of getting that all situated because I know it was combined into one book but it had all little small different well you have to remember way back when there was a fabulous book by a Maori fellow um, Peter Buck Te Rangi Hiroa from New Zealand he was the director of Bishop Museum and he had an eye and hands and skill that he could look at uh, an artifact or treasure and he could take it apart visually, and sometimes he did it in real, and recreate it so that we wouldn't lose, you know, how to weave a mat or how to make a mahi ole, a, a helmet. You know, he could show you in, to do that. And he thought that was very important, arts and crafts of Hawaii. That, that was a very important contribution he could do to Hawaiian culture. It was at a time when people weren't practicing or or very little was being done of these traditional skills, uh, he went and did uh, books on it. And he published a big book on it, chapters on different things. But the problem was many of us who use it in those days, we get the big book, but then we're out in the field and they got the whole thing and it's so cumbersome. So Bishop Museum chopped it up into chapters. So you could get one book on kappa, one book on, on this, or one book on, on weaving. And you could take it in a workshop and you could utilize it, read it, and show the pictures. And you didn't have the rest of the book hanging on you. So I reversed that with Nonamamo. I said, what we don't have today for Hawaiian culture is we don't have, we don't have a book or we don't have a guide more than a book about behaviors, manners, um, virtues, and values. We don't have that. And people were making, still making up a lot about what they believe is, is Hawaiian and you know, may not be true. It may not be. So what we looked at was, I looked at was, okay, what are the significant things that make a people? You know, like hospitality, like leadership, like healing, like food, okay? And food meaning not just the, the mea'ai, but you know, the cooking, the serving, and all the other stuff that go with it. <clears throat> and an important chapter in there was about gender, because nobody wanted to talk about mahu, you know? I, I was, that chapter was actually banned in the DOE, because they didn't want the kids to, to learn about what Hawaiian attitudes towards mahu were. They, 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 you know, too controversial. That was it. They're scared. So they didn't pass that out in the DOE. But that's an important chapter. I was told by some people, you know, that Hawaiians needed to know what the attitudes were and the practice is. So 
we we put the I put together these things, but they're not my beliefs. You know, that's not me talking in there. I base whatever evidence we had, conclusions we had, on the evidence of what our traditions say. I'd have to find it in Mo'olelo, Mo'okuahau, uh, journals, and, and Haole journals. Really, you know, backed up by Haole journals. And people, our people, no, they don't want to look at Haole journals. That's done by the Haole. That's not us. Hey, I'm sorry, but the Haole were the, were the, were the Ni'ele people, were the eyes at that time. You know, there weren't any Hawaiians in 1778 writing down anything or drawing pictures about anything. They were the Haoles who were doing that. You know, now, when you read the Haole journals, you have to take it with, you know, a little bit of something because you have to be able to see what is the prejudice that they hold in them mm -hmm. and what they see. But what is what? But what is the actuality, the reality that they're seeing? Okay, uh, and by doing, by basing the e the conclusions on those evidence, we're able to say that's not me talking. That's all these other people. You want to argue that that's not that's not right? Go look it up yourself because I give all the citations. You can look it up there and find us. Yeah, find it out and make up your mind whether that's bullshit or not. Sorry for the French. Um, but that, that's the point. Now, I'll give a, a, a shining example because it's going to be in the third volume of the murder mystery. In the British journals, when Cook came, after he died, they noticed after the Makahiki was over, that's a boxing. And, and there's a nice uh, painting that Weber did of the, of the boxing matches with the Makahiki symbol and, and the crowd and all that stuff. Interesting. You know, where, when we used to go to these ali'i functions, uh, people would complain, oh, you're not supposed to wear that. Oh, you're not supposed to put the, the cape on and all this other stuff because they, they've, been, they've been so westernized in the courts of Europe that they didn't want to, you know, dirty their, their symbols, regalia, and all this stuff. Hey, in that boxing match, there's one guy with, a, with his helmet and his cape Boxing away, punching away. I mean, you know, don't give me this, you know, well, what are we basing the evidence on? The co our conclusions and evidence. That's what I mean by that. So there was, after the fact, the British were walking, two of them were walking along the beach. And they had noticed the day before that this um, couple, and they presume it was husband and wife, were arguing after the matches. And he was abusing the wife, physically abusing her. And they were going to intervene, but they figured, no, we better not. This is a cultural thing. We, you know, we don't know what's going on. They were smart about that. But the next day, they see the same couple, and they're laughing and having fun, and it's like nothing happened. And they're going, what? Say what? You know, they were fighting the next day, badly fighting the next day, and the, and the other evening, and then the next day, they're pals, they're friends, and they they they're shaking their heads like. Did we see what we saw? And you wonder, okay, what, what happened there? How much of the prejudice is in there? Ours as well as the British about this relationship between this couple. And what can we learn from it? Okay, that speaks the things that are in Nonamamo. Because that's what, you know, I was able to, to think about and find and ask questions uh, concerning, you know, the, these topics. Um, you know, like aloha. Um, when did we start using aloha as goodbye, hello, and goodbye? Well, 
I found out, and I try to prove it in there, that that's all from the missionaries. The missionaries get it into the Webster Dictionary, English dictionaries, as hello, goodbye. But in the Mo'olelo, in the Ka'au, in the traditional stories, that's not the same. When they mean aloha, they mean, they mean love. They mean the love inside here. And it's not a hello and a goodbye. You know, big difference um, kind of thing. And, and so that's why I thought that book was important. It's important that the new generation don't make up things. You can find them. They're there. You just don't be moloa, lazy, and want somebody to tell you all these things. You go and find it out. It's there. And, and, don't, and therefore, don't make it up. Don't make up things. You know, like they're doing up on, on one of the mountains in, in the island of Hawaii. They, they, just because one chant says that it's this name, all the other stuff is not, not relevant, you know? And they don't even, they, they don't even recognize the, the goddess of that mountain, Poleahu, and how deep that tradition, we almost lost her. It took a person of the descendant of Pele to save Poleahu. Back in the 60s, 70s, she composed a chant that her daughter uh, danced and, and, and chanted for Poliahu. You know, and this is a Peli person doing that because she was afraid that people would forget that there is a goddess up there. You know, and now, oh, you got you got everybody running up there and, and making up things. And I think that's Pilau uh, because there is a tradition there. There are people there that have that tradition. They should be the ones that talk, not, not people claiming this or that, you know. Um, and so that's why I thought Nonamamu was important, because um, just uh, too many legends coming up, like the one on leadership. We all think Kamehameha was such a great leader, but we don't realize, you know, that a lot of that was propaganda from, uh, from all the historians after him, like Kamakao and Malo. They're all in awe of Kamehameha. But as one of my pals um, from Maui said, oh, he was a murderer, you know. He, he, he killed all the people in Maui. He came over Oahu, killed all the genealogy houses and all this. You call that the savior of, uh, you know, the conqueror of the islands? Yeah, he conquered the islands. And you're going, oh, wow, <laughs> keep quiet. Um, you know, so there are good things, there are bad things. And we have to learn them. We have to accept them. They're who we are. Um, the things that we shouldn't change, but we we need to reconcile with. Um, you know, uh, that's not to say Kamehameha's uh, legacy was not good. It, it was good. Um, how it was done and why it was done is questionable, and how much we elevate him up is questionable. You know, if they did a film, a movie on him, how much of the story of how he used um, the sorcery gods. Um, feather gods to conquer the islands. They don't talk about that, about his religious practices. You know, they just talk about his prowess on on the battlefield. But he studied very well politics and religion, and knew how to utilize both of them for what he was to obtain. I there's another point I want to make because somebody put out their own murder mystery book about Kuahuula. Um, uh, uh, and where he's buried and all this other stuff. I mean, you know, the, the premise that 
that his grave is uh, in a cave called the Forbes Cave. You know, maybe partly true, but then it doesn't take into consideration all the other stuff in context found in that cave. And therefore, if you render that story, that premise first, does it collapse this whole story about about Kamehameha and Kuahula and how he was quote unquote, you know, murdered um, uh, for for uh, for political gain? Um, you know, that may crumble um, with the evidence, but he's only uh, portraying some of the evidence that he wants to read in it and not the other stories that go with it. No. So that's why I think um, Nonamamo sets a standard because you can go and check these materials. You can make your own story. You can make your own conclusion by these things. Yeah? I think that's very important. Like you say, we got to continue to do our own personal research, you know, so we can find out our truth. I mean, like you said, you cited a lot of the information so people can kind of go and uh, read more into it and um, look yeah. more into it. Oh, you yeah. Know? It, it, you know, the, why people don't do that is because it's not easy. It's labor-intensive. Yeah. Uh, it's using your mind. You know, it's more easy to listen to a podcast like this and have somebody telling you what to do, you know. But I don't think that's the way that, for instance, you can pray a cliff of a mountain to collapse. And Kamakao says that if you really wanted to know the prayers well, you should know them so well that you could make that cliff, hiolo, fall and collapse. And you go, wow, what? You know? But that's the mana. That's the power that they recognize, that they could have that ability to do so. You know, it's what I'm working on now with the Kumulipo. <clears throat> and in its awesomeness, not just as a creation chant, but something different to it is how it was composed, the words that were chosen, um, and the sense that you didn't have pencil and paper. And not even pencil and paper, you didn't have a computer. And you had to memorize and know these lines completely and wholly. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. It's like a pal of mine who's a chanter, he's in his, in his old age now, but he said one time uh, he was doing a blessing of, of one of the offices and said he, he was chanting from a text, a, a three-ring binder in, written, in printed form. He said, oh, that was so easy. He said, I wish you could have done that in his earlier days. And you don't, because you have to remember this chant, but then you only use it for one occasion. And then, pow, you don't use it. You know, oh, that's a lot of work. Okay. So, you know, the prayers and all of these things. How, how do we, we do this? Uh, for instance, a um, uh, friend of mine, she unfortunately walked into a emu. The son-in-law had put these uh, plyboards over the emu so nobody would fall in them. But plyboard is press board. And when it gets wet, it's soggy. And, and alu alu, and so she walked on top of it, and she fell and twisted her ankle. Oh, no. Okay, so they took her hospital. They had to put pin in, and she was going therapy. So she asked, "Can I come up to your house, uh, to to her house, and pray with her?" So I said, "Yeah, we can do that." So I gave her some uhaloa, uh, some popolo, some other things, 
to make, a, I hope they did, to make a, a wahi, a, a poultice, uh, a wrap, just around the, just all the leaves, pounded leaves, yeah, with the juice coming out, and you wrap it around the, the ankle and put the wrap. And so after, I said, okay, before I leave, and you do that after I go, I said, I want to pray with you. And so, you know, I, I prayed with her, and she said, Oh, I haven't heard a prayer like that since my uncle and my father, particularly uncle. Uh, and he's in the, uh, he's in one of the books uh, from Molokai. Uh, prayed like that. And I said, I pray like that because that's the way that I knew how this form of prayer called La'aukahea was done. It's not all this kind, ah, they go in there and they do this and that, 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 and whatnot. No. I got it from somebody named Lono, and and he, in his writings opened the light as to how this was done, and when. And this is the part that people in Laokahea forget, and I know they're phony balonies, as uh, Abe Akaka used to tell me about, you know, fakes, they're phony balonies because they forget something in the prayer. And when I did that, she said, "Oh." I haven't, nobody's done that for so long. I said, yeah, because that's how you're supposed to do it, you know. Now, the people who know what the practice is, they know what I'm talking about. A lot of people, I ain't telling you. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it, you know, um, because then they go out and, and try and mimic, monkey it. You know, that's not the way it does. You, 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 you are given that gift and you utilize that gift um, when the opportunity comes and the time comes. Yeah. So that, that I think those are the things that are so important that we, I don't say we're losing, we're forgetting. We're lazy, we forget, we want other people to do it. Uh, we want to learn from somebody else, we have a workshop. And I think that in a way that's like stealing because you take something but you don't give. Who gives back to these people? You know, when my grandfather did his healing, nobody gave him nothing, not even a bag of rice or poi. But he was happy, you know. He did it freely because that's the way that he was taught. Um, the person that I work with, unfortunately, who's somewhere else now, um, he, I, he worked on me and I said, you should practice this. You need to help people. And he said, well, I don't know. He never done it. He only did it for friends and people like me. I said, look, when you go out and you work on somebody and they pow, if they want to give you something, you know, ask them for $25, $20, easy $20 bill. And if they don't have a cup of coffee or whatever, if they don't have that, say thank you and walk out. Said, but don't charge them anything. Don't say, I charge you this. You just say, if you want to give, you do this. Hey, in his practice, somebody gave him one brand new car. They said, he had a car keys. They knew he needed a car. So they said, take the car. And he did. Yeah, things, yeah. yeah. One time, they didn't say nothing. They only gave him one cup of coffee. I said, what, you took the cup of coffee? Yeah. And what you did? And he walked out the door after that. You know, that, that's how it goes. It's not this kind of, we're going to get Medicare, we're going to get Aloha Insurance, we're going to have a clinic, we go that. When you start going that route, 
you, you go down a, a slippery trail. The guy in Kapuhulu, he had two practices. He has his naturopathic uh, practice, and then in the back of the building, he had his la'au. And it, I was told this story that, um, you know, his, his accountant got real, and his accountant was his wife, real hoo-hoo with him, because people would come in with chickens. That was a payment. They gave him chickens, and she don't know what to do with the chickens, you know, kind of thing. But the other side, no, you pay in cash, you know, or check, that kind of thing. You know, that, that duality was there. Um, yeah, I did, there, there's a kind of, not just ethics. It, it's who you are, who you understand, who you are, how you understand your gift. Uh, one time I took this, uh, I think I put it in a book, um, Alice Holokai. I took this guy from British Columbia, Indian, and he was complaining. He, had, he, he said he had these uh, pegs of, of cedar, wood stuck in his head like splinters and they're giving him migraines and he needed to see someone. So I took her up, uh, I took him up to Papakolea and we saw Auntie Alice and she welcomed everybody in the house and sat down. She took him in the room. She said, came back out, said, it's going to take a little while. So I said, I'll come back. She said, yeah, come back two, three hours from now. And so I did. I came back and he came out and he was, oh, he was so relieved, you know. He said he wanted to write a check to her for $1,000. I remember that figure, $1,000, right then and there. I said, she ain't going to take it. She said, what? I said, no, she will not accept money for herself. I said, if you're going to give it to her church, and she was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist, if you're going to give money to the church, or you're going to give her a bag of rice or food, she'll take it. She ain't going to take your check. It's not going to be cash, and you're going to be torn away. And he couldn't believe me, you know. So he wanted to give it to her. She said, no, she refused. You know, that is not just integrity and honesty. That's what you were saying, living the culture, living the way, living the lifestyle. Auntie Alice lived in, in home, Hawaiian homeland. It wasn't the prettiest house. It was clean, but it's like my house. You know, it's, it's owned by the termites, not by me. Um, you know, and, and it could have been repaired. She could have used that $1,000. She didn't want it. I had one of my uncles talk about that same thing was, you know, because a lot of people give, you know what I mean? Like they want to give to the practitioners, but, you know, sometimes the practitioners are like, nah, nah, no, no, no accept. But then he was like, we're cutting off that, that exchange, that aloha aku, aloha my reciprocated relationship where, you know, I doing one service, I mean, you doing one service for me, you tuning me up. Now I'm giving you something, you know, and if we don't accept, we kind of, you know, stopping that well, that, that's, exchange. That's you know? a pilina. That's a pilina. That brings you together. There's a great story of two um, uh, Indian carvers up British Columbia, and they, they were friends. So one would give a little gift, carve something for his friend, and then the other one felt obligated and would carve do something, give, and they kept doing it, but they kept escalating it above and above and above until, you know, it became a competition and it had to stop. And that's when they realized that the Pilina wasn't about the objects. The Pilina was about the friendship, but the objects were taking away the friendship. Okay? So in this kind of compensation for healers, uh, for people who have gifts, it has to come from the heart. 
If it doesn't come from the heart, then that's, you know, that's really, that's you buying it. Okay. So when somebody said, when he said, when he said, well, you know, I could use $20 and somebody gave it, he would take it. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. But not come, you know, I'm going to charge you uh, $75 an hour. No, it don't work like that. No. And if they have only $5, you take the $5. That that's the way. That's why in the South Pacific, where the, the, the healers are still practicing, they basically are the poorest people in the community, yet they're the richest. Why are they rich? Because they know, and the community knows, they're the only ones that can help them when they get sick or they need help. You know, you get a call, oh, can you come down and bless this place? What kind of blessing you want? Oh, you know, and then you go on and find out it's not a blessing, it's something else, you know. Um, but they call you up because they know that you can do something. You're not a phony baloney. You, 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 you can help them. Mm -hmm. And they know that. That's where the richness comes in from. That, that's a, a sense of respect, but a sense of worth in a community. You know? And you're not harming anyone and you're not killing anyone. So can, you know, can there be that balance where you know, a lot of the practitioners to create, a, you know, in today's society, create that abundant, abundant lifestyle, but still doing the work. You know what I mean? Like, if, you know, no one, no one wants to get into a field if, um, you know, I mean, yes, there's a lot of blessings, but you know, for people, they need to pay bills in these days. You know what I mean? They gotta survive. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. So it's kind of finding that. I remember, I remember that uh, Pat Bacon told me that of uh, Tutu Pukui. She said, you know, everybody, they give her corbos, they give her, you know, lays, they give her this. She really could use money. She could have used the money, as you said, to pay the bills, to buy the food and, and so forth. Uh, but people, you know, out of great respect, think that she should have these things instead of, uh, instead of the money. Um, and... And I think it's a point that, it, it, again, it's that people choose that way of life, that practice that they want to, to utilize a gift because the big bang for the buck is not the buck. The big bang is that you get a kick out of helping people. The relationship. Yeah, building the relationship, but helping people, healing people. I think that's more than just helping, healing people, so that when you leave the room, you feel this wonderful sense that, that, that the people before you who were broken are now whole. That's more than the bucks. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay? That's a good and then if the buck comes with it, it comes with it. If it doesn't, that's okay. The bills will be paid somehow, some way, you know? Um, you don't choose to do this as a career choice. You, are, you don't choose it. You are given it. Okay? What you do for paying the bills, taking one trip, going to Costco, and so forth, you find a way to do that. My friend who worked with me, on me, 
was a construction worker. That's what he did, you know, during the daytime hours. During the other hours, off hours and in his own time, he healed people. And he told me he got his kick out of healing people. That's what his auntie taught him to do. That's the only way you could use that gift was to practice it and do something with it. You know, I did a ho'oponopono one time for an um, uh, officer that I worked with down in uh, Wainai. And there was a father, uh, mother and a son, older lady, and the son was adult already. He was a stevedore. Yeah, I wish I was a stevedore. He had so much gold bling on him, it was pathetic. He looked like Mr. A. Uh, the old lady, you know, she she was elderly. She had property, but she was getting old. And they had different views as how the property should be utilized. And they were breaking that pilina, mm. you know. The property was getting in the way of the pilina. And so what we did to help them was to get them to recognize what is more important in your life, the bling, the land, you know, your mother. You want to kick your mother out of the house because you want to use the house for something else. What does that say? What does that speak? That's when, I tell you, it, it, the room just changed. Uh, you could feel something in that room. Uh, like the earth was moving and, and the thunder was, was breaking. And the two of them started crying, really, really crying. It got all of us to cry. There was another person who was watching, learning, and she started crying. We all cried, the four of us, and because the two of them, therefore, began to recognize that that Pilina, the relationship, mother and son, was much more worth than anything else they had. And they had to work to figure out a way to keep them together and not to keep blocking with objects and things that relationship and they had to work on it i tell you when we when we were closing there was such a grace in that room i hate to use that kind of term but i don't know any other there was such a grace in the room there was this amazing silence just amazing silence the calmness, the quietness that was amongst us. No more tension, no more fear, no more anger, you know. Uh, that's when you realize that you have created, helped. You didn't do it yourself, but you put it to, in motion and you healed somebody. You healed two people. You healed everybody in that room. You know, that that's that's the mana. That that's uh, the whole name of the game. That's the end game. That's why we're involved in this stuff. We're not here just because it's Hawaiian culture. We're not here because you know we, we, it's traditional stuff. It's indigenous. We will make money out of it. We're this and that. No, it's that moment hmm, that happens. That that's precious money cannot buy and that's what we aim we work for um, that's what we do learn the prayers and we learn the medicine that's why the medicine 
has the mana that comes from somewhere else, not us. It's not just the plants, but it has something else in it. All of that comes, comes together and it does something and it goes, wow, bazinga. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also the importance of what you talked about at Molly Wednesday is pule. Yeah. To, you know, the importance of aligning that up or, you know, like you said, it's not necessarily... Yeah, because Kamakao puts it very, very succinctly in his um, analysis of, of the prayers of the Kahuna Haha. And, and that is, in the end, in the final end, it's the pule, but before the pule, the, in the final, it's uh, God, it's Keokua. If you don't have the God into the pule, the pule ain't worth nothing. But you don't know the pule, you cannot get in touch with God. There's no religio, there's no connecting of the practitioner with God because there's no connection. Okay. So you have to, they're, they're, they're two-way street, um, but they are the final things. Even the medicine, he says, is not important as, as the pule and the God. You don't have the, those two, the medicines, they're just plants, they're just uh, materials. And they, they don't have to be plants, it could be shellfish. They could be, they even use uh, the one, I think in the Maui book, they, they use a sack, the yolk sack of a spider. You know, So it's not just plants, mm -hmm. but none of that has an effect if it doesn't have a kua. And that makes a big difference between how we practice, how we see things, as how modern medicine sees things. And some modern medicine may say, well, it's psychosomatic, it's psychological. I don't care what you call it. You don't have it. You know, it, it, half of it is, you're losing half of the game. And, and you know, um, hospice care, um, therapeutic care, palliative care, all points that that is important. It's maybe not as important as some of the medicines and treatments and surgeries, but it is important. Component. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with your retirement now, you know, with your kuleana with the community or whatnot, like how do you keep yourself restored, you know, restore your own self or maintain pono, restore your own mana? Is there a, you know, certain things that you do or like, you know, or that you learn that can help us stay, you know, because a lot of times people these days, they're busy. You know what I mean? Everyone's busy. Everyone, you know, if they got kids, they got their work, you know, trying to maintain the sense of pono or balance. What could we, any suggestions on what we could um, do to maintain the sense of pono or to restore ourselves? Well, it, it sort of goes back to what you said, lifestyle or way of living. If you're not in the lifestyle that you want to be, Adding something to it is not going to help. You need to be living it now or making sure that you are going to be living it and that you're going to be living it that way for the rest of your life. This is not this kind of thing. That, that's why I got kind of hoo-hooed at one person who did a book, um, you know, sort of like um, a forerunner of um, Nona Mamo <clears throat> on values. Hawaiian values, but the whole book was about 
making an impression to Western philosophies than telling us about what is Hawaiian. <clears throat> and I, I got kind of hoo-hoo at that because it was sort of like, well, if you practice this today, then you're okay. And then tomorrow you go practice something else. So today we're going to practice aloha, and tomorrow we're going to practice laulima. And I'm going, no, 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 you can't. This is all pilina again. This is all together. They're, you cannot just go, okay, today is aloha day, and then tomorrow laulima day, and then the next day going to be kokua day. You know, they, they, you don't do that. Maybe the Western people can do that. But Hawaiians can't because it's all solinical, it's all related, linked together. One leads to the other. So, you know, what, what can one do? Well, one should be doing it now. And, and those are the things that, like, uh, people forget. Um, the Kalavina Church has it um, that uh, before you leave work, uh, and I remember one auntie saying that, that they, they went out in the yard, all the kids, and they got the flowers before they left for school, and the father went to work, they made a lay for him, and they gave it to him. They had Pule Ohana, the morning prayer, and in that they, they wish, you know, for certain things to happen, that are going to happen in the day, but they basically ask for protection and guidance and love and all these things um, to keep them, as you said, pono. And then in the evening they came back, have dinner, and what they had before they went to sleep, and you know, little, little kids, we had to go on our knees by the side of the bed and go pray. But they would have um, Pule Ohana again in the evening, and they would say, this is what happened. I didn't get what I wanted, or I hurt myself, or this. And they let other people know what happened in the day. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. um, and that kept things on balance. For the husband and wife, I remember uh, a Hawaiian, Hawaiian lady... Portuguese lady, she married a Samoan, and she told me, because they had a fight, she and her husband had a fight over something, and I can't remember what it was, but the next morning I said, well, how are you? She said, oh, we forgave each other before we went to sleep, because the priest told us that whenever we had a bad fight, don't go to bed with a grudge, even if you didn't do it, say I'm sorry and make up, because then you can sleep better. You know, and you'll be forgiven. She said that's what she did, and they they did feel feel better. They're calm, more calm than they were tense. So, you know, I I think those kind of things are how we how we should look at it. And it's not that's good for the relationship with with God, Keakua, and it's good for the relationship with our family, for people around us. You know, I I think the Dalai Lama put it very good. You should not let the bad behavior of others destroy your inner peace. And I've been trying to do that, you know. Some people, they hanaino you and all this. Hey, you, you could do like this second book on murder mystery. You can sense, you can you learn how to send things that, that can really, but then you go, no, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't do that. You have to stop from doing that. You cannot become like that. And so the Dalai Lama, I think, is right. Because they do things to you shouldn't mean that you do things to them. And therefore, we shift and change our culture. Because in that way, they used to do that. You do something bad to me, eye for eye, I'm going to get back at you. But we're in a different day. And we need to practice something different 
so that uh, you know we we can continue on, we can exist. I think that's when you learn what pono is, and how how to maintain it. You, know, mm -hmm. you have to practice it. And um, what what would be the characteristics you think and practices of of people in our community who you consider like excellent practitioners or good practitioners? You know, of whatever practice it may be. You know, what would give them good qualities to be like uh, you know whether it be a la'al person or uh, you know a lomi person uh, a teacher you know what would be like some some characteristics of these people besides you know the um, pilina is very important you know building good relationships is there anything else that comes to mind as far as like what would be you know because for some practitioners listening out there, you know, they, they're learning about a lot of these things. Um, but is there certain characteristics that would make um, us be good practitioners? Well, I can think of one big one, but there's another one that goes with it. And so let me talk about the other one, the smaller one, and that's patience. Um, a lot of us don't have patience. Um, and time. I mean, in, in those days, um, the last, Tutupukui said the last of the kahuna haha, the chinu of, you know, um, Lahilahi Webb told him well, none of the kids, his, his own progeny, wanted to learn. So she said, um, Can you teach me? And he said, No, because you would have to live with me. You give up your life and you live with me. You come into a room in my house and that's going to be your room. And that the, you're going to dedicate your life to this. And he said, you can't do that, particularly at her age at that time. But he said that's, that's a consideration he would have to do because a lot of it has to do with patience. A lot of it has to do uh, with that relationship um, and the sharing and, and the trust that is built up. I think the biggest thing in light of that what I just said is not becoming a cult you're not the guru you're not the teacher you know there are other people who have no other knowledge too but more than that the students are haumana they don't worship the ground that you're on because once you start worshiping the ground that you're on you get big head small head you think you're God and you're not and you limit it, and the mana that you have, the gift you have, becomes limited because you lose that. What you want is the adoration. You want them to do everything for you. You want them to, you know, um, uh, be the, their, your followers. I mean, that's why uh, we, we're taking a, a, a back and we admire Pope Francis who picks up his own luggage and walks to the airplane with it. No, you get other people. You look at Trump. There's always an aide-de-camp, a military guy. He's carrying the suitcases. He's, he's doing all that. No. Um, some people call that humbleness. It's not humbleness. It's understanding that you are here for just a short period of time. There is an end. You are not invincible. You're not immortal. And you don't control. 
people. You don't control the gift that you have. When you start to control that, you lose it. And we've seen, I hear people, namu namu, they, they say things. Oh, look at so-and-so. They died, you know. I wonder how come they died. Were they doing something that, that they shouldn't have been doing? Or they were treating other people like they were peons or lesser than they, you know. Um, and then it get back to them. Did something come back to them? You hear that. Mm -hmm. I mean, even today, you hear that kind of thing. And you wonder, you know, uh, because people aren't that they aren't bad or evil. It's that they have, the, again, instilled in us this sense of relationship. And they see in some of these characters that the bond has been broken. And that these people now, they they're more than you, more than anybody else. You've got to you know, bow down on the ground to them. Um, I think that's where, in particular, where healers are not, should not uh, be like that. They're not God. Mm -hmm. you know? they, they, they are instruments. How if they call themselves like kahuna or whatnot? Well, kahuna is only a specialist who knows prayers. That's all. You know, it's not like the, the kahuna when we're little kids, you go run around with tea leaves and go poke it out of somebody, oh, I'm going kahuna you. You know, it's not like that. Uh, it, kahuna just means somebody skilled, and particularly somebody who's skilled that knows prayers because the skill that they practice is one that is based upon prayers. Make sense? Makes sense. Okay. All right. Um, if you could leave a message to our Kiki, you know, about the importance of our Pilina to our culture um, or the relationship with our culture, what would you say to them? Listen. Ho'olohe. Listen. And be attuned to what people, anyone that you run into says. You don't have to say that, accept it as a truth, but remember it. It may be important. You know, in my limited lifetime, I met a lot of people um, that I didn't know who they were. I didn't expect that they knew anything. Um, they just came into your life and, and um, they made a meaning for it. They made an impression. I mean, I used to sit in the afternoons like this with Auntie Alice Namakilua. We talk, talk Hawaiian. Uh, Johnny Almeida used to correct my Hawaiian. Um, and, um, you know, um, uh, Auntie Alice Kamakilo Campbell. Uh, I didn't know who these people were. They just popped up, you know. And they say things to you. You remember certain things about them. I mean, I remember Auntie Alice, we talking. She said, oh, yeah. Uh, I was talking about, oh, I have to go because we got to get uh, dinner for my father. Five o'clock was coming out. She said, oh, yes, that's right. You don't want to have put food out after five o'clock because you're going to have angry bears in the house because she had all men folk in the house. She didn't, they, she didn't get the food out there. She gets slapped around, abused, you know. And you remember that story. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, just so many people, and, and some of them I, you know, I've mentioned in the books that have influenced me, um, that you have met. And, and just meeting them has been a gift. 
you know. Um, for instance, like Eddie Kamai, I used to go down to the sty in college, spent most of my tuition on, on drinks at the sty, at listening to the Sons of Hawaii. And then after, after one performance, he came and sat down with us and I said, hey, I never heard those songs before. He said, yeah, I found them in a book written by Queen Liliokalani, her songbook. I said, what songbook? She said, that's right. Well, nobody knew that she had a songbook. You know, it's all us. We're not academics at that time. He said, he said, Malcolm, you better go over to the archives and go look at it. It's really fascinating. So I did. And what did I find? The Queen's Prayer had four verses, not three. In the Kalavina book, the Red Nahimene Haipule had only three verses. But her writing, her, that, that typo, type script one, had four verses. So I read the second verse was missing, the one missing. It said, um, she declares that she's a pa'ahau, you know, in prison. Nohomihi. Uh, she was um, in solitude. But they didn't sing that. So I copied it down and I took it to our cathedral. I got our, um, our organist, a choir director, to add it in. So we used to sing four verses. Now everybody sings four verses. But there was a time nobody did. Even in the recording of um, Kamakilo Campbell's with Jack DeMello, there's only three verses. You know? So that was all because of Eddie. Eddie said, hey, you better go because this is important. Check them out. Check them out, yeah. You know, so you run into people. You listen to their story. You, know, you take the time. You're not in a rush. You're not going to do this or run to soccer or something like that. If they have the time and they want to tell you something, I think that's important, and, and you know that that's the way that it becomes part of you, um, and that and because it becomes part of me, it becomes your story, and that's how the culture lives on. So, um, your couple books over here, you got um, part one, which was Makahiki, and episode two. So where can we um, pick these books up at? Or well, Makahiki and many of the other books I have, you can find on Amazon.com. It's like a visual catalog. Maunu probably, I think, comes October or November. I think, uh, I forget when the shipment is coming in from Taiwan where it's printed. And then it will be available, uh, hopefully, in, in bookshops. Um, bookstores, but uh, again, guaranteed there would be on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, I'll put it up on there. Um, I can make the, the prices. Uh, retail is twelve dollars. Um, if you buy it on Amazon, it will probably be twelve plus uh, shipping. Um, you get a hold of me somehow, or to you and and Mauliola, um, you know, give it at mates at a discounted rate. Mahalo yeah. yeah, it's just because this is the way that I feel uh, like this podcast we're going to learn. Uh, if I can put it in a murder mystery in fiction form, uh, but I put the culture in there so that the clues are through our culture. Uh, and you have to utilize all your skills, cultural skills to want to solve it or figure it out. Then you learn something. And most of the book is um, based on, on, on these cultural elements that I've discovered and found. For instance, in uh, Maunu, the new book, there are two gatherings where Ava is served. Well, actually, there are three. But two of them, 
come from uh, manuscripts uh, based on uh, observations of how our people practice ava, the ava ceremonies back in 1779. Now, there are no Hawaiians, again, taking notes back that time. There was only these haoles. But their observation gives us an idea of how Hawaiians back then practiced it, not how we're doing it today. Mm -hmm. So maybe some inventive people, they're reading that, they're going to say, okay, we want to try to replicate this and see how, how best, because that's the way it was done. So can you give us some hints on how that, um, that was explained, that Ava, um, some prelude to the, the book coming out on certain aspects of how that um, Ava ceremony went down? Yeah, I can I... open up the book right there. Yeah. Um, so I'll go just look into this book to check out what that of a ceremony. You know, I composed, I wrote this thing and I can't find a dang thing. What I want. Well there was that mo'olelo of um, Palapu Hekitu. Oh yeah, that, that, that's, that's in here, but um, I wanted to share the thing about uh, about how they practice it. Um, because it was fun. It was actually um, nice to to have put it in because it fit again Pili, it fit so well um, in with it. Now oh, that's the last one. So it has to be no oh, here. Okay. I'll read um, from uh, chapter 6. Um, Being a lesser chief, Kaumai Luna's house was coming to view. However, everyone seemed to be outside sitting in a large circle under the shade of a tree. Nahilipuna could hear the singing going on. Whilst the ava roots were being chewed, one of the other chiefs of a high rank was leading the entire group in a song to which he was joined by one or two in the group. The rest moved their bodies back and forth, striking their hands gently together in concert with the fingers. When the ava was ready, cups of it were handed out to those who did not join in the song, which they kept in their hands until it was ended. Then, uniting in one loud response, they drank the liquid in their cup. Those who joined in the singing were served the ava and drank it after a repetition of the same ceremony. And then the ava was presented to the leader of the singing, who after chanting some time alone and being answered by the rest, poured a little out on the ground and drank. A piece of dried meat together with some of the kokalo and uala sweet potato was left at the foot of the image of the god, and another song chanted. Then everyone began to eat. That is when Nahilipuna made his appearance. Nice. Yeah. To be continued, make sure you pick up that Maun book coming out in October to read more on episode two. All right, mahalo for your time. You got any other uh, final remarks over here? Um, 
before we wrap this up we're gonna have to come back to this holiday over here and do another recording you know just to continue to uh, sharing these stories for our people you know because a lot of people I'm super honored to be able to um, be a friend and talk story with you you know and have these conversations so we're gonna have to do this again you got any final remarks for our uh, Leo Koopa listeners out there all right Mahalo Nui against one, one <clears throat> Mahalo Nui once again to our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Naea Chan for joining us on Leo Kupa. Mahalo to all our listeners. Leo Kupa is produced by myself and Mr. Kavika Brown. If you like this podcast, please share with our ohanas. Um, subscribe to our mailing list at huimauliola.org where you can get uh, information on some of the events, practitioners in your area, and our Kiala uh, Kamahina Hawaii Moon calendar coming out again shortly follow us on social medias instagram on facebook mahalo for the stories and leo kupa today welcome uh, nui ki aloha from the reverend dr malcolm naea chan oh come on nui hailono hola e ki akua mauna loa lai lalo kekai nao makua ya ka hina kua ya ka hina lo kai kina komohana na kupuna mahalo pia E ho mai ka ike ka i kaika ka mana ke ola Mania o kou, mania ma kou, mania ka kou A ma ma ua noa, e ho o mana <laughs>